Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. It is just so good to be here with you this morning. I I walked in this morning to pre-gathering prayer, and like I walked into the room, and it was just like, it was so heavy in the best way of God's glory meeting us in a place where we come to meet him that I just like sat down and I like couldn't get up for the rest of the time. I was like, he is so good to show up. If you were a part of 36 hours of prayer that we just did, it's like you come with God's people and ask him to meet you and he shows up every single time. (laughs) He's so faithful. And I am coming into this morning with such confidence that like if you don't know it already, God is doing something among this people. That if you're here and you're kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, what was just happening during worship? Why are people so like into it? It's not that they're into it. It's that God is here. He is among us and he is alive. And if you're here this morning and you don't know that, my like prayer before you go anywhere is just Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to your people. God, would you reveal yourself in this place to be as good and true and beautiful as you are? Would you come and meet us in our, in our doubt, in our disappointment, in whatever season of life that we are in, God, and to show us that you are the only reason? Because if we came here for anything else, anything less, if we came here for friends or something to do or whatever it is, it will be empty. But God is alive, and that's what it means to be his people is we get to come and gather around an alive God. So I'm, just, I'm this morning, I'm in awe of him. I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for this building full of hungry people. Um, And with that, let's get into his word because he speaks the best word. If you guys could stand up with me and find in your Bibles the book of 1 John. If you're like me, you'll flip to it, past it a bunch of times, hit Revelation and turn back a couple pages and you're there. We're gonna be in 1 John chapter one. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you just reveal your word to us? Reveal what is true about you. We've come this morning not to hear any other word, not to hear any other voice, but yours alone, God. So would you speak to us? In your name, amen. All right, 1 John chapter one in verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all can sit down. I have a simple question for all of us as we look at the text for this morning. Is your joy complete? 
Is my joy complete? As you sit in that question for a second, I want you to acknowledge where your mind just went when I asked it. Did you think, okay, how like amped up do I feel for today? Did you think, oh, let me take stock of the week and what happened and do I feel like good or bad? Do I feel excited when I look at the future? Do I feel a lot of it is gonna be how we feel, right? When we think about our joy. And I don't think any of those responses um, are wrong. Actually, I think we've been kind of conditioned to take stock of our joy as a status of how we feel about our lives and about the world. So it's not unwarranted. We've made joy synonymous with bliss, with a state of being that we have. There's like our dictionary definition, right? That joy is this feeling. And I think sometimes when I think, I was thinking about definitions, um, and sometimes we get these definitions, right, of even a word like joy that is so full and big. And even now when I ask that question, maybe it's like, I don't, I don't know if I have complete joy because I'm not sure what that means. So we think of like the dictionary definition in our head. Okay, oh, it's a feeling of feeling good, of pleasure, happiness. And we use that definition that instead of helping to aid in our understanding, which is the purpose of all definitions, is to help aid our understanding, we use a definition that we've learned to limit something, We create a box around our lives and around our world because, oh, I learned a definition for something that now speaks what is true. So we have all these small definitions for our words, right? Like joy and love. So we limit joy to a feeling because it's the definition that we've learned. But joy was never meant to be limited by our definitions. Joy complete, complete joy. What is it? What is our joy? Or I would say more accurately that I'm kind of posing a trick question because it is the question of who is our joy? Who is joy? And John, in the text that we just read, he is coming to the only possible conclusion that complete joy is the word of life. You'll see in the passage that he starts talking about the word of life. And in the end, he says, I'm writing to you about the word of life that your joy may be complete. Who is the word of life? You got it. (laughs) John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word of life that John is talking about like you answered correctly, is Jesus. It is Jesus himself. Jesus, God become man. Jesus, he is joy complete. When writing this letter to the church, John does not offer a new way of viewing the world. He doesn't offer a new practice to implement into their lives. He does not first offer a different like, I don't know, any kind of uh, like a rule for your life. Like think of something you can implement to increase your joy. No, what he does instead is he offers the reality of the person of Jesus. He offers the reality of the rule of life and said this is what will make your joy complete. Now if you're tracking with me, we've reframed that question, who is joy? Joy is Jesus himself. How does that sit with you? Jesus as the definition of ultimate joy. 
When you think of joy, do you think of God as the one who would help you understand it? For he is the fullness of it in himself. Do you think of God as joyful? When you think of who Christ is, of who the creator is, is he full of joy? I was reading uh, in Dallas Willard's book, Divine Conspiracy, and it kind of shook me up with this thing because I was, I was thinking about, uh, I had had this passage that I was thinking through for this message, and I was thinking about joy and who Jesus is, and I realized in, when I was reading his story, the disconnect that I make between God. I create joy as something experiential, joy as something that God gives to me, but not him as joy himself. And I think Dallas Willard tells the story in the book and he talks about moments that I think we all can uh, relate to is you see, he talks about a story of he walks up to an ocean and he's in a new place and he walks up to the waves and he said, it took my breath away. I saw wave after wave crashing in colors and sound and rhythms and I just stopped and I looked and I was in awe. We've had those moments, right? When you look at creation, you just say, oh, my breath, it takes my breath away. And he said um, that God, as creator, he experienced those moments over and over and over again. That not just in a place that he stands and looks, but he experiences the beauty of the world that he created moment by moment, of like wave crashing over wave in this world all over it and every world in the universe that he's created. God is joy. He is feeling that feeling of like, oh, look what I created. Look at how good that it is time and time and time again. And Dallas Willard goes on to quote when he's talking about this kind of existence that God lives. And he said, this is his life. Now Jesus himself was and is a joyous, creative person. He does not allow us to continue thinking of our father who fills and overflows space as a morose and miserable monarch, a frustrated and petty parent, or a policeman on the prowl one cannot think of God in such ways while confronting Jesus' declaration, he that has seen me has seen the Father. One of the most outstanding features of Jesus' personality was precisely an abundance of joy. This he left as an inheritance to his students that their joy might be full. So we must understand that God does not love us without liking us through gritted teeth as Christian love is sometimes thought to do, rather out of eternal freshness of his perpetually self-renewed being, the heavenly father cherishes the earth and each human being upon it. The fondness, the endearment, the unstintingly affectionate regard of God toward all his creatures is the natural overflow of what he is to the core, which we vainly try to capture with our tired but indispensable old word, love. Any definition that is not found in this God that is not found in Jesus himself is lacking. Pure, full goodness and joy is displayed in him alone. You, the, like, the love that he has towards you, the joy that he has in you, since he very first thought you in your mother's womb, since he very first, before all of creation, he knew that you were coming and he took pleasure in you. I think that sometimes it's really easy to understand. We look at the world, right? And I'm like, I can understand God's grief when he looks at the world. I can understand his profound anguish at evil. And these are a reality and they're important because to see God's anguish, to see how he meant the world to be and that it is not that way should push us towards a hatred for sin and a desire for holiness. 
but God lives in both these realities at once. He is able to hold the anguish and the anger at the wreckage of sin and what it is doing to the good world that created and also a deep joy at the goodness of his creation and the love of the people that he made in his image. Think of the cross, that example of pain and anguish and what sin requires held in tension with joy. Because he says, for he took the cross for the joy set before him. That it was the depth of his pleasure in what he made in you and in me that he was so consuming that as he went to the cross, he felt joy. He had joy that he would bring his congregation near to him again. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you believe that God enjoys you? Do you believe that he created you in his image with creativity and imagination and curiosity, that you are in his very likeness? that he saw a way that he could tear the veil, that he could remove any boundary between you and between him. And he saw the cross and he said, I'll take it upon myself with great joy. All because I wanna be with you. I just wanna be with you. His created one, the one that he enjoys, that he loves, that your joy might be complete. Do you believe that it is the things that lead us near to the heart of God that are the pursuits that have true joy? That if we pick up our cross and follow him, that even the pain, the anguish, the sacrifice, it will be filled with joy because there's nothing that separates us from him. John 16, 20 through 24 says this, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask you will receive and your joy will be complete. There it is again. In mourning, in grief, when people rejoice in the wickedness of the world, we are asked to receive. Ask and receive what? Maybe you caught me that time. It's the wrong question. Ask and receive who? The spirit of God, Christ alive in us, that we are able to ask and receive all that he is. And with that, have everything added to us. Jesus said that his death, burial, and resurrection, we just read it, it makes possible a joy that can never be taken away from you because no one can steal you from his side. No one can steal you from the work that God has done. It was enough. The imagery that he uses is a woman giving birth, that, that joy that comes after the birth. And that's something that I will say is hard to understand. There, uh, a lot of you in this room, birth has been a thing for you. I remember when I was pregnant and this pregnancy was terrible, I looked around and said, how do people have more than one kid? This is impossible. Like it's impossible that you would go through this and wanna do it more times. And that reality of 
what you go through to bring a child into the world, but then you hold their little body and everything that has happened is blurry in a second. It blurs in a moment and you say, oh my gosh, you were worth everything. Even the months, the months after my son Henry, after he was born, I was like, they were sad months. They were hard months. I'm not saying the little baby was my favorite thing. But I, when I look at him, even if like moments before, I'm like, why are you crying? And I can't take this. I'll look at his little face and I say, oh my gosh, all my love is for you. I like all my joy, all like what I'm excited about is in your face. And What Jesus says in this passage is he's like, that's how you feel like that mother who goes through the pain, but her joy is set before her as her child's face is set before her. Jesus says, you get to look at my face. You get to look at my wonderful face and your joy will be full and the world and its desires get blurry. The pain that you have experienced, the life that you thought you wanted, it blurs because you look at him and say, oh, I want nothing else but your face. The life we knew before him is forgotten anguish and the joy of his presence is our reality. We live fully with God. And if this is true, if what Jesus is saying here is true, and I believe it is, his word is our authority, that when we look at the world and we say, I have hope. I have hope for the world that heaven is coming. If we look at the world and we say, oh, I have joy. If you walk in the room, people are like, how do you have, like, how can you act like you have joy to give away? Look at the world. But look at Jesus, look at who he is, look at his face and know that joy is actually the only logical thing to have. When we look at what he has given us, you are not a naive person if you have hope and joy. You are not a foolish person if you look at the future and say, no, I have hope. Because if you are a person of God, you're actually called to have hope and joy when you look at the future. To look at the future and, and be afraid, to look at the future, and Alex used the language earlier, to shrink back is actually to say, oh, he's not, that's not, he's not the face that you're looking at. He didn't buy that. He didn't buy a life of fear for you. He didn't buy a life where nothing can change, where, okay, I meet Jesus, and now I kind of hang out until heaven comes. No, he said the kingdom is here. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is now. And so when we say, oh no, I have hope and joy, it's not like foolish, false optimism. It's a reality that I live in because I know Jesus. Apart from him, yeah, that wouldn't exist. Apart from him, that makes no sense. Apart from him, to be a person of hope, why would you be? Oh, but with him, (laughs) because of what he's done, that is the only way that we can live. We get to be people of courage because of this. We get to display to the world that there actually is truth to be found. That I'm I'm not created to wallow in my despair. Jesus rescued us from bondage. And that doesn't mean that I don't grieve. Doesn't mean that I don't have really hard days, but it means like Jesus took the tension of the cross in anguish and with joy, I encounter the world in all its anguish, in every painful moment, with the deep joy of Jesus Christ. And that I believe that the things that break my heart, that they are not meant to be and they will not stand. That I actually have power in his kingdom to contend for the life that he is putting on offer. Your grieving should move you to hope. Your pain should point you to the heart of the Father. If we're so consumed by the difficulty of life that we can't taste the kingdom, 
we've stopped too soon. We have stopped before the gospel. We have not gone forward with the message that God has actually given us because he has afforded us to not live in our anguish. But we have to be courageous enough to believe him. Because those evil things, the evil, the pain, the anguish we see in our lives, they will easily distract us. And not only distract us, the enemy means those things to destroy you. There is a real enemy that wants all of those things to tear you down to the point you say, I just can't. I can't believe. I can't hope for anything else. This life, it's too hard. But what Jesus does is he's so good at this is he takes those ashes. He takes those ugly things. He takes the pain and he says, oh, no, no. I make this an invitation to you. I make this an invitation to you to step nearer to me than you ever have before, to come deeper with me, that what the enemy meant for evil, I can mean it for good. An invitation to see him, and we can be surprised by the joy that he breathes out of any circumstance. He is not limited by our circumstance. Our joy complete is to be found in him. And John says it in 1 John, to see him, to hear his voice, to see his face, to look at him, to touch him. Do you want that? Are you hungry to see God, to touch God, to hear God? It is possible. You were made for it. We read, uh, we're going through a book with staff and there was a quote from it this week that said, we are the ones who determine our level of intimacy with God. He has made himself fully available and invites you to come, to taste, to see, to know him. And my encouragement to us today is that we would determine that we're not satisfied with incomplete joy. I'm not satisfied with circumstantial joy. I am not satisfied with just like having life come at me and responding to it. No, I want him. That I would not be satisfied with a shallow relationship with him, that I would go deeper. So that question before you even move on is, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? You can answer me, are you hungry? Are we thirsty for God? Yes. And so the invitation to know him, it's right here. It's right on offer. We are told that we can share in the fellowship that the Father and the Son have. What? We can hear and see and touch God himself. So what does that mean, to hear him? Uh, In the Old Testament, the prophets were the stewards of the words of God. You would find a prophet to learn, oh, what is God saying? Tell me. And I was reading in Jeremiah 37, and there King Zedekiah, he's desperate to know a word from the Lord. And he says this to the prophet Jeremiah. Then King Zedekiah sent for him and had brought him to the palace where he asked him privately, is there any word from the Lord? It wasn't Jeremiah. He didn't say, Jeremiah, come, like, give me your wisdom. He went to the prophet because he said, no, I need to know what the word from God is. And that was the longing of the people was that, oh, could we just hear a word from the Lord? And what the prophets longed for, what King Zedekiah longed to hear, Jesus has made himself accessible. That each of us, you want to hear a word from the Lord? You can have it. A word from the Lord? You can have it. You can ask him to speak and he will speak directly to you. Sorry, I pulled my Bible up and put my notes to the top. Where am I? (laughs) But I think that it's in this God speaking directly to us. 
it's in that, that word accessibility that I used. It's that accessibility sometimes, the, the, the truth that the veil was torn, I can talk to God at any time, that numbs us. The accessibility numbs us to that desire, that craving that the pe- that people have had all throughout history to hear a word from the Lord. Oh, we can have it anytime we want. And I grow dull. I grow numb. I noticed this the other day uh, in like an analogy from my life that I was... I was with a friend and we were driving in the car and just talking, you know, when you're with a friend that you love and you missed and you just get to talk to them all about life and what's happened and what God's doing and the hard things and the good things. And there's like repentance in those conversations and they're so sweet and rich. And I just like gave away so much of myself, talked the whole, like talked the whole time, probably more than I should have. And we, I get home and I walk into my house and I see my sweet husband, Tyler, and he goes, oh, how was it? How was the day? I'm like, it was really good. And I walked to the back room. And I later sat, I was sitting in my room and I was thinking about that. And I was like, I just shared, like poured my heart out, had so much to share. And I get home and see the person who is actually like deserving for a look into my heart, my desires, the fullness of my day. And I say, pretty good. Because my familiarity, my accessibility to my husband it had doled something, that like, like temptation of oneness. It's that lie that oneness doesn't need to be cultivated. Oh, I have oneness. I don't need to cultivate it. But it does. And unlike the people who were desperate to hear from the Lord, I let my accessibility, I let my oneness with Christ turn into simply a state of being that I don't think I need to cultivate. That's such a lie because he gave the accessibility to us so that he could be with us, know us, we know him. That we would value that oneness so much that, oh, actually that oneness makes me crave to get to be with him. It actually makes me see, oh, I have a responsibility to give myself away to you time and time and time again. We're the bride of Christ and we were never meant to just go about our day being like, I'm good. We were meant to engage with him, to give ourselves to him, to cultivate intimacy, to step into nearness with God. Do you want to hear him? He's speaking. Do you want to hear his voice? Draw near and he will draw near to you. Do not forsake the reality of the new covenant nearness that we live in, that right here, right now, we hear the voice of God, that we encounter him. We cannot let our comfort keep us from his voice If you don't have a desperation for that voice, ask for it. Ask him, God, would you stir in me a hunger? Would you cultivate in me a hunger for you? When we were at 36 hours prayer, I thought of that image because there's the fire, right? That they they were stoking and keeping lit the whole time. And I look at those, I look at that fire and when it comes to the point where it's coals that are burning, we're we're so content to be just coals sometimes. That it's like, oh, I'm on, I have life, I know God. No, stoke that fire. Let his wind blow on that fire that it would be big enough for people to see, that it would be big enough for you to actually live from, to get life from, to be warm from. You're not meant to just be little embers on the ground. We were meant to be fires full of warmth and life and the presence of God. We get to have the scriptures. We get to gather in prayer. We get to ask for the Holy Spirit to come see us. We get to hear him. Do you value his word enough that you are hungry to hear him? And not only do we get to hear him, but that second thing that John talks about, we get to see him. 
In John 16, 7, he says, but very truly I tell you, it is for the good, your good, that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's that reality that God tells us, right? Is like, he's telling the disciples, you can see me with your eyes right now, but I promise you, I'm gonna go and you'll actually be able to see me better. What a wild thing that must have felt like to them. Be like, but I can, I can see you, I can touch you. Why would you go and that'd be better? But it's better for we have his Holy Spirit, his helper come to us alive in us that we get to host the presence of God. We encounter God himself, his presence. My joy cannot be complete if I do not see him. When I see him as he is and he tells me who I am, when my eyes are locked on the king, the world fades. It's wrongly placed sight that is the thief of our joy. It's me saying, oh, I'm gonna set my eyes on something else. 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How can you fix your eyes on something you can't see? How can you see the world if it's not something that like your eyeball is taking in? What does that mean? It's to fix your mind, your heart, your attentions, your affections. Do you see him? Does he have your attention? If I'm being honest, I spend the majority of my days with my attention on something else, with my eyes fixed on something else, my mind thinking about all all different kinds of things, my heart wrapped up in things that are not him. So no wonder if I come in here and I say, is your joy complete? Like, "Mm, no, my joy is not that full, not that complete because I've fixed my eyes on all kinds of other things, things that can never complete my joy. The pursuit of happiness, we go after it, it's misplaced sight. The pursuit of family, it's misplaced sight. The pursuit of a marriage, it's misplaced sight. The pursuit of a career, misplaced sight, all the things. And think of the thing that you fear losing the most. If all your attention is on it, it's misplaced sight because it is Jesus first and all things will be added to you. It is your sight on him and all things will be added to you. Nothing that I just mentioned is a bad thing. They are good gifts from our God that we are called to walk in. But if we're not looking at him, if all my attention is wrapped up in a pursuit other than him, it is misplaced. It is these people, these singular focus kind of people that we experience fellowship with the Father and the Son. That is true fellowship. What first John is saying is like, oh, true fellowship is found in this oneness of sight. True unity is found in this singular sight, being able to look at Jesus. And I think sometimes as Christians, we hunger for connection so much that we just let ourselves have friendships with other believers that are shallow. We say like, oh, I I want connection so bad that I am actually not gonna point you back to oneness of sight. I want connection so bad that I will actually give up my oneness of sight and kind of, I'll look at what, what you're looking at. And we offer these things to each other when people are in their pain, when people are in places where, oh, actually there's an opportunity to call one another higher to this life of hope and joy. And instead of doing that, we say, oh, I heard a really good podcast you might like. 
oh, I actually, I saw this, uh, this like service that you can go to that might help you with that. I saw there's great, I'm not saying there's, that programs are bad or systems are bad or any of that stuff, but how are we not as Christians first pointing to him? We're saying, oh, I just, I, and I think that it's fear of losing connection, that it's fear that we've heard over and over again. It's like, oh, but like to say Jesus, too simple. Oh, to say like, oh, what you're longing for is actually scripture. Oh, you can't just slap a scripture on it. No, but you can point them back to his face. And his word points each, we point one another back to his face with his word, with his truth. We do not have anything better to offer than the word and life of God. So if you think that you're being a good friend, if this is conviction to myself, I'm not getting you guys with this. This is me right now. If I think that I'm the, being the best friend because I sit and I commiserate with you, because I sit and I complain with you, because I sit and I say, oh my gosh, yeah, life. <laughs> no. Like, we don't get to do that. We actually are in true fellowship when I sit with you, and yes, I see your pain, and God sees your pain, and let me pray with you in your pain, but let us point each other to say, like, oh, I could sit down here in my misery, or will I pull you up and say, no, you are a child of God, and he has good for you, and this is who he is. I will not let you sit in your circumstance because his blood bought way too much to let you stay there. Can we be that kind of fellowship for one another? Can we be the kind of people that are not afraid of the gospel simplicity? Can we be the kind of people that don't overcomplicate? Because we overcomplicate freedom all the time. We create the space to create steps in order to get there. And I'm not saying that we don't need people to come alongside us, that sometimes we need to be able to see Jesus We need people to come and say, okay, here's how to get a step closer to him. Let me help you break off these lies that you're believing. We need that. But freedom is not found in anything complicated. It's found in Jesus himself, in that power of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ that he actually bought. He paid for the ability for you to walk in complete freedom. The power of singular focus, Christ alone. There's a hymn that, as I was thinking about this, kept running through my mind, and I talked about it, 36 Hours of Prayer. Couldn't remember the hymn. Thank you, Steve. He reminded me of how it went. But it's the one that's the, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And this hymn was actually, it was inspired by a poem. It was written by a woman. Um, she was a missionary She was from London. She was an artist. She had a career ahead of her. She had dreams of family ahead of her. And the Lord said, you're going to go be a missionary to my people. No mission agency would send her. No one would partner with her. And she said, I'm just going to go. And she lived in the desert with the people there for 40 years. And while she was there, she wrote a poem, and it was called Focused, a story and a song. And I'm not going to read the whole poem like I did the other night, but I am going to read an excerpt of it for you guys. How do we bring things to a focus in the world of optics? Not by looking at the things to be dropped, but by looking at the one point that is to be brought out. Turn full your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at him. And a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. And the divine attraction by which God's saints are made, even in the 20th century, will lay hold of you. For he is worthy 
to have all there is to be had in the heart that he has died to win. If you would say this morning that you don't have joy, that you look at the future and you don't have hope for it, that you don't have courage, it may be that your focus is on something else. Think of what she was just talking about in that quote, right? If I was to hold this, my weird little water bottle, I can focus on it and you guys are all really blurry to me. I can't see anything real, like with clarity past the water bottle. But if I focus on the back wall, my water bottle is now blurry to me. And that's an intentional focus. We pick what our eyes will see. And in the choosing, the rest will become blurry. If you pick something that is outside of him to put your attention on, he will be blurry. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to put my attention on anything less than him because if I look at him, oh, everything else will fade. And I will understand what true hope and joy is. I will understand the life that I'm meant for. What is the whole world hungry for? What are we all hungry for? Purpose. Oh, it's found when I look at him. A life that means something is found when I look at him because I was made for him. If you're feeling distracted, the invitation is just, again, fix your eyes. Look and look and look at him. You can't do it enough. We were made for him that with fixed eyes, we would experience abundant life. We get to love what he loves and we get to hate what he hates and we get to just look and look at Jesus and be bold because of it. Because guess what also falls away when you do that? Your fear is gonna fall away. If you look at Jesus, the Jesus who says, I conquered even death, you will have nothing left to be afraid of. You will have nothing left to take, take your attention and say, oh, but I can't lose that. No, I could lose everything because I'm looking at him. God made alive in me and me alive in him. That is our purpose. It's what we're made for. The third thing that John tells us is to touch him, so to hear him, to see him, to touch him. The fact that John and the other disciples were able to touch God, what he's talking about is that physical, like I touched him, I touched his hands, he came. In Luke 24, 39, Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet, see that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. John is making a very important point that he touched Jesus. He is actually emphasizing Jesus' humanness, that God is fully man in the person of Jesus. There was a group at the time that this was written um, called the Docetists, and they insisted that Jesus never could have had a flesh body, that he could not have been flesh and blood because they could not fathom that God would degrade himself to take flesh and blood. But John combats this and says, no, I touched him. He is flesh and he is blood. And that is crucial, not only for the fulfillment of prophecy, not only for the belief that he would be the new Adam for humanity, but Christ is fully human is an invitation to all believers across time. Christ is human is an invitation to the kind of life that is on offer for you, for me. Jesus becoming touchable, means that he walked to show his disciples and all of us what is possible when we walk in step with the Father. When our lives are led by the Spirit, to be able to touch God is to live his kingdom now. 
joy complete is to live as he lived by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that does not mean a perfection of our circumstances. Jesus didn't have that. But a life of power with singular focus and kingdom mission for our lives. Do you have that? Do you feel like you have kingdom mission for your life? If not, ask him for it. He's given us this thing that we get to share him with the world, that we get to be as Jesus to the world. We get to walk as he walked with power, a life of surrender, that we would taste the fullness of life that God has on offer. There's fullness accessible to you. That everything would become blurry as we focus on him. What Jesus has accomplished, it has sent the powers of darkness running. I've, uh, in seminary and even in conversations we have a lot, there's, we, we talk a lot about the problem of evil. And it's an important question to say, how can evil exist? There's the world, there's the flesh, there's the devil in combat with what God is doing in the world. There are things that are not as they should be in combat with God. But I think almost, I was going through this, I was thinking we have the question, almost that like problem of evil. But evil is the one with the problem. Evil has the problem of a risen Jesus Christ, that it is on retreat, that it cannot stand, that when we get to live and engage with God, we see, oh, actually, the things that I see in the world that are not as they should be, there is a problem for them in the person of Jesus. And we can spend so much time, and I don't think these are bad discussions, they are so good. We need to be people of thought and thinking and thinking with Christ, and we need to ask questions, and we need to wrestle. Those are such important things. But sometimes... We just stop being people of faith because it's like, oh, I just spend so much time wrestling. But what if we stepped into the faith of what he tells us is possible in the scriptures and we saw in our lives and the wrestling actually kind of disappears because I get to see him live. I get to see him move in the world. I get to see what it looks like for evil to be conquered by a good God. Do we ask? Even when Andoni came up and did the welcome and we ask for peace, do, you, like, do we believe that can happen? Do we believe him that the things we ask for, that he hears them? He says, you, ask, you have not because you ask not. Are we asking? I feel like I will go to 36 hours of prayer and like, how are we not all here? How are we not all like on our knees coming to God to say, let me ask because you can and you will and you do. Second Peter 1 says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That's our joy complete, to participate in his divine nature. A divine nature has been given to you. For those of you who call on the name of Jesus Christ, he says, oh, here's unlimited accessibility to me, my Holy Spirit alive in you. To see me, to touch me, to hear me, to know me. And we walk around, like we come on a Sunday and we worship him and we sing the words that do, they say, oh, to worship you I live, God. Singular focus, here I am. And we walk out on Monday and we say, oh, but that's not like possible out here. No, it's made for out there. That is what we're made for is to go out there and to live this life and to say, oh, no, there is a better way to live. To just float with the world, that is what would be foolish. That is what is naive, is to go out in the world and say, oh, but God, do you have power here? 
I know in the sanctuary you do, but do you have it out here? Yes. And he wants to work in you to be a bold people, to be like those weird people. I want to see that. I want to see so many weirdos out in Newburgh that are the people that you look at like, why do you just like, I come up to you and you always like have something to say about Jesus or this. I, I have a, somebody that has like a cast. I've had my knee prayed for 10 times today. What is happening? There's so many weirdos out there. And I want us to be those people. I want me to be that person. That when I talk to my friends who are far from God, I wouldn't tiptoe around. There is life abundant for you. I wouldn't say, oh, mm, my connection with you is more important than you connecting with him. Nothing is more important than the world connecting with him. Your image is not more important. Your job is not more important. Your, like, nothing is more important than this. So could we be a people, oh my gosh, the thing that we talk about all the time, that we would see the world changed by the kingdom of God in breaking. He has said that it is coming, but it takes us saying, yes, I will partner with you, God. I will be a person of hope and joy. I will continue to ask and ask and ask because I will not end my life and say, and here you'd be like, oh, you had not because you asked not. You didn't see it because you never asked for it. Let's ask for it. Ask for him to encounter us, that we would be the people who participate in his divine nature. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.